welcome to Light Warrior Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Karen Can, author of the number one best-selling book, Sensitivity is Your Superpower, How to Harness Your Gifts, Fulfill Your Purpose, and Create a Life of Joy. And if you are new to my radio show podcast, uh, welcome. And I would love to give you my free gift, The Sensitive Soul Empowerment Guide, The Three Ways of Navigating Your Way to More Peace, Positivity, and Personal Power. Okay, so today we have a very special guest, and I want to ask every one of my light warriors and those listening a question. I want you to imagine yourself as a young child growing up in a small village, no access to higher education, and then suddenly at the age of around 12, you are alone. You have to fend for yourself. What do you do in that situation? Well, my guest today, Bunmi Pakvisset Milk Elroy, tells us about her journey of how she went from victim to victorious, and she has a beautiful memoir uh, called I Hate Potatoes, They Make Me Cry, which is a story of triumph over these kinds of hardships, how she turned her life around from being an orphan to an international life coach and inspirational speaker in America. So today we're going to talk about, you know, how to transform your circumstances, how to for you to go from victim to victorious, what are kind of the key things to really know about and to understand um, maybe some tools to transform your life and discovering your purpose and, and more. Bume grew up in Thailand. She's lived and traveled between Thailand, Japan, Singapore, while practicing as a transformational life coach and inspirational speaker uh, prior to moving to the U.S. And in 2009, she moved to the U.S. and pursued her education. She's a licensed independent clinical social worker and entrepreneur, a woman-owned business, an international life coach, and an author, and she's a proud mother of two children and a proud wife, a sister, and auntie. You can go to her website to learn more about her and her amazing journey, www.aboveandbeyondcoachingllc.com. Again, that's aboveandbeyondcoachingllc.com. And so I'm going to open up the chat. So, folks, if you'd like to chat with Bume and myself, um, you can just put it right on the show page if you are here live. And then for folks, if they want to call in, ask a question, comment, you know, share your own inspirational story as well, you can call in at 818-514-1190 and hit 1 so we know your hand is up so we can take some callers later in the show, 818-514-1190. 1190 and hit one. So, Bunei, welcome to the show. Wow. Thank you so much, Dr. Karen. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Can you hear well? Yes, oh, you're good great. to go. Where do you live right now? You're in the U.S.? I am, yes. I am currently in the state of Florida, actually. Oh, really? And are you close to Orlando? Because I'm going there in August. Oh, yes, two and a half hour away. Well, not that close, but, <laughs> but, <that's laughs> but all right. to me it's close. I can drive. <laughs> all right, all right. So, Bume, yeah, uh, walk us through your childhood uh, because I think that uh, it would be really interesting for some of these details, like what were you feeling, thinking, and I know you talked about it in your book, but um, really love you to walk us through your journey. Of course, of course. I'm going to share my journey. Um, Let's start at the age of 10. I grew up, my first memory was being hungry. I Mm. just remember the sense of hunger. It's the prominent experience of my childhood life. 
it's just consumed by the thought of eating foods and feeling hungry all the time. That was my childhood experience because we were so poor. I grew up with my brother only later on in life that I knew that I have other set of siblings. But um, my father, my brother, who's one year older than me, and then myself, I remember just potatoes after potato every day. And you might know now why I named my book, I Hate Potato. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was guessing. I was guessing. Oh, boy. I think I know that part. But, yes, you just confirmed it. Wow. And I love I love the title, yeah. by the way. The book is just great. I love the title of the book. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Um, yes, that's what my experience of being a child is, being hungry all the time. And not to mention growing up poor, I don't have any clean clothes to wear, so I be I would be bullied throughout my life. I would call stinky and ugly and hideous. Um, you can you can name it, because we couldn't even afford a chicken egg, let alone the laundry detergent. So that is my life journey. Yes, um, I don't even know where to start, but. Um, my most important story of that is that I left with the impression that life is really precious, you know, and I learned the most valuable lesson is that you cannot take life for granted. Mm. That's what I learned from my childhood, and I want to share that with my audience. Oh, that's beautiful. Now, you mentioned siblings. So how many siblings did you have? Um. In my book, I mentioned this interesting journey of mine, too. I I mention it that I have two beginnings of my life. I grew up thinking that I only have one brother mm-hmm. until around the age of seven or eight when my father moved me and my brother to different provinces. That when I learned, again, that my life is not just me and my brother and my father, but it's another sibling that my father had previously with his previous marriage. Oh. And did you know at yeah. that point when you were seven that he had a previous marriage? Or was that a shock to you? It was a shock to me. Oh, wow. So <laughs> that's why I have one sibling, and I also have siblings who, who like, way older than me, like the oldest uh, living brother that I have right now. He is, I believe, 68 years old. Oh, so the okay. Yeah, huge. Wow, that's that's so interesting. Now, when you were um, quote unquote orphaned, like, what were the circumstances around that? Because you were around age 12, right? When that happened, like, did your dad die? Like, like uh, I didn't read the whole book. So, how, how did that all go? Absolutely, I can share that. I am an orphan. Uh, at the age of 10, actually, and at the age of 12, and I'm solely on my own, Mm. running away from my uh, abusive sister. But I can go back at the age of five when I lost my mother. In my book, I mentioned the only memory of my mom was the picture of her naked, and there's a villager came to our house and do some ritual for a funeral, which is cleaning my mom's body. Mm. And in that moment, when I observed the ritual, I didn't know what death or dying means. 
Right. I just fell off. I felt like something is wrong here. I don't know what that is. Why are the people washing my mom's body? And that was the the only memory that I have with my mom when I was wow. five years old. Wow. And then, then after that, we just go through life as usual. My father would, you know, go from town to town, province to province, and, you know, do kickboxing. Actually, Thai boxing is two different things. Oh, yeah. And he would come home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> When he came home with a bag of rice, we will be, you know, having a good life for a week, and then we go back to steam wild potato again. So that is our way of life. And then I think my father knew then that he not doing well. That when he decided to move me and my brother to different province, and that when I learned that I have other ten siblings that share the same father but ten? different moms. Ten other siblings. Oh yes. my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> Holy schmoly! Oh my goodness! Okay, wow! Oh my gosh! And then a year or so after that, a year or so after my father was falling ill, and he passed away when I about to turn ten years old. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And so did you? Were you actually living with your stepmom and step? siblings at that, mo- at that no. time? Oh, yes, yes. He moved us to my, um, I don't know if Steph or not, we share the same father. I mean, my half-siblings. Oh, half that. And yeah, yes. yeah, half-siblings. We have different mothers, and we have the same father. And gotcha. one of my siblings, um, she's, I think, middle child from the previous marriage of my father. She is the only person who is unable to have kids, and the rest of my brother and sister, they have at least two or three kids of their own, so we end up in the house. So that is the sister that ended up abusing me and my brother, which I mentioned in the book as well. Uh So only a year-ish after we introduced to my half-siblings, my father passed away. And so we, you really didn't get a chance to, to you know, well, not enjoy, but to, to really live there with your father for very long. It was like a year. Not at all. Oh, my gosh. And what about your, like, your parents, your biological parents' family? Did you I see don't them, know meet them? anything about them. No, not at all. Huh. So no aunties yep. or grandparents? Nope. Or? Nope. Nope, I don't know any of my ancestor or my auntie. I knew of them later on in life where my elder sibling shared with us, like, oh, yeah, we have a big family. They're so-and-so and such-and-such, and and they live here and there. But I never have experience of growing up with grandparents or uncle or auntie at all. Wow. Yeah, so your experience is very foreign and unusual for, you know, everybody that you meet or the, everybody that I meet. <laughs> we normally have met our grandparents and we have aunts and uncles and this big extended family. And even if you're poor, like you have all these, you know, connections and, and everyone's struggling, I suppose, together. I, uh, but you didn't really even have that. It was just No, not at all. Yeah, that's why I have shared in my beginning of the book that I grew up, have this sense of, emptiness and not belong like I just don't know who I am because I don't know who my mother was I don't know any of my ancestors just the feeling of emptiness Mm. and alone 
fundamentally. Right. That's how yeah. I my book. Okay. So you're 12, you know, you, you, you ran away uh, from the abuse. Um, where did you go? What did you do? That's a great question. I actually got that feedback from my um, one of my readers sent me an email like, what did you do after you ran away? Where did you go? <laughs> I cut the chunk of information out because I don't want to kind of repeat myself over and over. I ran away with my sixth grade teacher. She is the first hero in my life. Mm. My teacher is money. She is the first human being that showed me kindness, that mm. showed me bravery. She took me under her wings. And I hopped on the back of her motorcycle and went to a different city and stayed in her house. And she have her, she is a teacher, but she also owned two different businesses. One is a video rental store. The other one is laundry mat. So I help manage both. And, you know, in turn, they provide me food and shelter, and she allowed me to attend informal education on the weekends. That is my payment is education. Uh, right. So you were actually, was she your teacher, or did you go to another school and they paid for it, or how did it all work? She was my sixth grade teacher. She is the one who has provided me guidance and support in my in my class, and she knew my story, and she's the uh, one who always checked on me. And uh, in my hometown, graduate from sixth grade, you consider have fish in education, and that's about it. Anything beyond that is privilege. If oh, you wow. Have money to, yeah, if anything, if, if you have money to buy uniforms or buy books, even the school are free, but you still have to take a school bus or transportation to get to the school. Right. And to eat lunch, to buy books, to buy uniform, we couldn't afford that. And my teacher knew that me and my brother are one of the brightest kids, but the poorest in our village. Ah. So for that reason, we couldn't afford to go any further education. And ah. I love dis- disappointed. And the entire school actually know that these kids need to go to school. And my, my teacher, she's the one who took initiative. She convinced the entire teacher and the principal to go to my house and ask my sister to allow me to go to school. And even though my brother got scholarship and I got scholarship, my sister refused. And I was stuck at home, raised, I mean, clean the house, cooking and cleaning and working the farm for a while. And uh. until one day, my teacher had it. She said, something needs to be done. So I believe about, I don't know how, how many months after I graduated from sixth grade, she came to my house in the middle of the day, knowing that my sister should not be home at that time. She actually yelled for my name, Bunni, Bunni, are you home? And I heard her voice at first I didn't recognize until after a while. I said, that's my teacher. And she asked me, is your sister home? I said, no. She said, come with me. And in that moment was the first moment that I took courage and took the leap of faith and ran away with my teacher. She told me to go to the room, grab what you can, and come with me. So I remember I grabbed two teachers and one short. 
and that was it. <laughs> right. Well, you probably didn't have much, so no, no, That's no dolls, right. no toys, nothing. I didn't own any toys in my entire life. Believe it or not, my first stuffed animal that I got was a stuffed animal that looked like tiger for my 30th birthday. <laughs> wow. That, wow. Well, that's yeah, an apt, that apt stuffed animal for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's amazing. So, yeah, so this is so interesting. So she, she basically kidnapped you, in, in a, I mean, in a positive <laughs> way, right? She kidnapped you. And so did anyone, like, did that family ever find out who it was or what happened? Yes, absolutely. And in my culture, that was the act of kindness and privilege, actually, you know, took in someone who needed help and provide food mm-hmm. and shelter. But in American country, my scene in a different perspective. Oh, I see. Um, okay. yeah. So we would, you know, somebody yeah. would be calling the cops and, you know, saying someone yeah. kidnapped. <laughs> okay, gotcha. <laughs> so in your culture, right, they're right. probably like, good riddance. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yes. I think, oh. I think. My village, my village of people, they probably like, oh, good for her. Those, those kids need someone to love and care for them. Oh, good. But yet, my family knew who I went with and where I was. Oh, they did. Okay. What about your brother? My brother, at the time, he got a full scholarship to pursue his education. He remained back home with my um, sister and my brother-in-law, but not for long. Um I think I mentioned too in my book about a year or two when he left because he missed me so much and I think he felt disappointed and hurt that I didn't get the chance that he got. So he didn't even finish his high school. Oh, okay, okay. So was there any resentment between you two because, I mean, it was just sudden, you were just taken away from him and he didn't even know, didn't get to say goodbye, anything like that? Um, Between me and my brother? Mm-hmm. No, not at all. Actually, my brother is my hero. He he is actually fighting for my education. He's the one who wrote a wonderful letter to his scholarship donor to split his scholarship so that I wow. can have the same to go to school with him. But yet, my sister said no. She told me that I belong in the kitchen, and I am oh, her. So she gave permission for him to do it, but not you. Okay, got it, got it. Well, that's so sweet of him. Oh, it makes me want to tear up and cry. It's, like, so beautiful. <laughs> wow. Yes, he is very, very sweet brother. Wow. So it's amazing, these angels, you know, in your life, despite the incredible hardship that you must have you know, went through. And so you are no stranger to hard work for sure. Not, not at all. <laughs> yeah. So at a very young age, you're, ma- you know, managing to businesses. And <laughs> um, but you were, you know, both of you are very bright. So really capable, uh, you know, people. So you got some God-given gifts there. Uh, that's amazing. Wow. So, um, you know, how, yeah, there's, you know, many people that are different stories, but they, you know, have felt as alone or, you know, are, are feeling as alone as you did. Um, and they're looking for their angels, you know, as well. 
Um, I know you do some life coaching now and, and you're working with people. So, you know, what are some of the ways or things that you can counsel people or coach people in terms of transforming their circumstances, you know, how to get out of that victim mode or victim mindset, which is completely natural, you know, given what happened. Right, right. That is a great question. I, first of all, I think the number one for us to honor stuck ourselves from being victim in in a mindset or in a perspective is to stop asking questions, why this happened to me? Uh, what did I do that I deserve all this to happen to me? Or questioning why things happened to us. I think that what kept us in the victim mindset and keep us stuck because we busy asking why. Why happened to uh-huh. me? Why am I a good person? Why good thing doesn't happen to me? But instead, ask questions. What does this teach me? Mm. This happened to me. What does it require me to get out of it? Right. It's so learning to ask the right yeah. question instead of staying stuck in the why me, why me question. Absolutely. And trust me, when you are in that, of course, right, we naturally question why are we a good people, mm-hmm. bad things can happen I don't deserve it, right. Right, right. And the more we ask those questions, we actually kept ourselves stuck in that cycle. Mm. So the way I shifted from victim to victorious mindset is to ask, what does this ask me to do? Mm. What is it within me that will help me get unstuck from this circumstance? Yes, yeah, so that requires those- faith in ourselves. Yes. That's how I unstuck myself from the vicious cycle of victimized. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, that's that's huge to be able to shift that, that mindset from why me to, like, what is me or how can I get myself out of this? Um, because we wouldn't necessarily think about asking that question if we don't love ourselves and don't have faith in ourselves. <laughs> oh, I love um, that, yes. You are right on because I know that I love myself. I know that my life has purpose. It really guides me to ask different questions. Mm. And yes. that's part of our faith, right? Our belief in our faith within ourselves to continue to ask those questions. What life asks of me right now? These circumstances happen. What is it? within me that I can use to get out of it. It really guided you and pushes you to go within, go mm-hmm. inward and reflect, really reaching within for your strength, for your knowledge and your wisdom that we innately given, each and every single one of us have an innate ability and gift that come with us and we need to find it. Mm-hmm. And so when you were when you were young and and here you are you know in a had a roof over your head now and food to eat and you were being paid you know through you know education and you're managing these stores how, how did you start you know shifting or changing your mindsets um, from that young age? 
I think because of my life journey and into me from the abuse, from sexual assault, from sleeping mm-hmm. on the street, surviving on my own, it really forces me to to go inward because I got nobody to like to rely on. Mm-hmm. I got no place to go and nowhere to go. But what do I have? I have myself. Mm-hmm. So it really forces me to go inward to see like. Why did I put in this place if I don't have what it takes to overcome it? Mhm. I love that. And that's, that's what kind of shifted my perspective to start asking different questions and respond to my circumstances differently. Gotcha. Well, it's uh, it's interesting because nowadays, like with the comforts, you know, that most of us have, not everyone, but yeah. most of us have in North America in terms of a roof over our heads, food to eat, et cetera, you know, warm clothing, um, that, uh, you know, we're, we're like, well, how, how do we help our children, for example, shift their mindsets? And a lot of it has to do with our adults, right? <laughs> like you're sort of shifting our own mindsets <laughs> to model that uh for children, and, you know, now we, we tell uh, people to meditate, you know, pray, meditate, mm-hmm. um, so they will get their own answers, and so here you are, you know, 10, 11, 12, um, you know, really, you know, going within, not anyone telling you how to do that or what to do. Right. Uh, they're like, they're not like, hey, Bumi, why don't you sit, sit cross leg under a fig tree and start <laughs> meditating, right? Like, <laughs> you know, that didn't happen. Um, do you recall, like, you know, any, I mean, it's a long time ago, but do you recall um, anything that you kind of intuitively did to get into that zone where you could, you know, seemingly get these questions to ask yourself in that introspective space? How'd you get there? That's a great question. If I answer to you that question right now as an older version of myself, I would call that in my intuition, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But if I answer, answer this question as my previous self, as a young self, I would say that I have to survive. In my effort to survive, I have to be creative and think of ways. What else can I do? How else can I be? What mm-hmm. else can I do? Where else can I go? It's an effort of surviving. Mm-hmm. But looking back at this version of myself, the wiser, the more mature and have more life experience, it's my intuition to urge me and push me to think of a different way, come up with a creative ways to navigate life. Mm, yes, that makes a lot of sense. And in some ways, our modern lifestyle with its, all of its conveniences and smartphones and, you know, access to food at the grocery store and, you know, all that kind of stuff, yeah. <laughs> um, we aren't necessarily in that place where that there's an urgency to connect with ourselves right. and our uh, intuition. Yeah, in fact, you know, the, the, it's set up, a system is set up to distract us, I would say, mm-hmm. uh, from tapping in, tuning in to our intuition and our greatest asset. There's so many distractions. There's so many commercials and there's so many movies and there's so many <laughs> things. And here you are, you know, uh, you had to, you had to, because everyone right. has a drive right. to survive. And that's a very strong drive if you're alone. <laughs> Um, and so you had to, to tune in to what we now call your intuition. So, yeah, that that is just fascinating. 
thank you for sharing Absolutely. that. And, and you mentioned one thing that kind of triggered my memory. When I first moved to the United States, I was in awe and perplexed mm-hmm. of how much, um, how much junk, if you will, that we produce in a culture. <laughs> I remember watching um, a commercial during the day that a machine that squeezed out the toothpaste. I was <laughs> Oh, you're kidding me. People are not <laughs> able to squeeze their own toothpaste in this country? <laughs> that was oh, my, my first, <laughs> that was oh, my first so impression funny. of how luxurious and make us become lazy, in my opinion, and not think about ways or creative ways to do things, to nav- oh. navigate our life on our own as much because we have so much convenient stuff to do things yeah. for us. I mean, it's just that just triggered my memory how I was reacting right. to that commercial. <laughs> oh, but yeah, and I can imagine, you, like, just, yeah. like, looking at all the, you know, electronic ways of doing things and, and uh, you know, electronic toothbrush and, uh, you know, I, I, it's funny because, <laughs> you know, when, when my, I think my first friend, I didn't even know about these years ago, had an electronic toothbrush, I'm like, is your arm sore? Like, why do you need <laughs> And they're like, oh, no, it's much more efficient. You get much more plaque off. And I'm like, oh, well, you know, I'm a science person, right? So I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. That's, that's kind of neat. And I, and I actually ended up getting a battery-operated one, and I actually really enjoyed it until it broke. And then I'm like, oh, <laughs> now I have this thing i got to throw out. And I'm like, oh, man, I don't want to throw it out in the trash. So never mind. I'll just go back to my bamboo <laughs> toothbrush and right, try to right. brush my teeth better. Um, yeah, and, and we love the easy button here. You know, I mean, North America, I mean, I'm including Canada, so I'm being inclusive here. But we, we love the easy button, right? And I love the easy button. I'm, I'm going to be fully honest and say, you know what, if I could just push a button and, you know, <laughs> you know, I have some results, that would be great. You know, but I think given right. everything that's happening in the world um, in terms of um, certain control systems we're now aware of, and uh, for example, as, as you're probably aware of in North America, there's, um, you know, they're trying to scare us in terms of, you know, full, uh, fuel supply and food supply mm-hmm. chain issues and things like yeah. that. Now we're going back, okay, uh, if we can't go to the store and get food, now what? What do we get right. to do? So then we start to be creative. We start to, you know, maybe, you know, 20 years of, ugh, I don't want to grow my own stuff, right? And maybe go, well, maybe I'll try it. Be an easier way to do this. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> not great, necessarily green thumb, but it's like, oh wow, okay, this system, and then the universe gives us friends and other angels in our life to say, oh, this is easier. This is, you know, you can do it this way, and you know, because I just don't want to problem solve something that's not my genius. And uh, so, yeah, there are benefits to what's going on in the world. I think. <laughs> right, and the reason that I brought it up is not not to make fun of. Uh, uh, technology nowadays, but it's because the question that you asked me previously that how do we teach people to have a sense of urgency um, when we live in the society that's full of convenience stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Because we don't have that urgency to survive anymore because we're so comfortable. So my my answer to that question will be we have to teach ourselves and our children to learn to think of five different ways to solve one problem. That's how we challenge our That's how we challenge our brain and expand our horizon. Instead of finding the easiest way out, let's challenge our mind. 
how many ways can they get this task done? That will push our brain to think of other ways to do things. Yeah, that's fantastic. I like that. Now, you mentioned on your website, you know, about blind spots. Can you share a little bit about what you mean by that? Absolutely. Um, in my book, blind spot is created at the early on in our life stage. You know, when we hit in our 20s, we already form this belief. I think blind spot in my book is a subconscious belief and concept that mm. we accumulate over time, and it tends to form from the moment of difficulty or the effort to survive, and that is in my book. And we did not recognize it as an effort to survive, but it's over time become a belief, uh-huh. and it's become a magic formula to survive in life in uh-huh. every area. Does that make sense? Yeah, can I give you an example, and you can tell me whether that, that's what you're talking about? Yeah. Okay, so say um, say when, when I was growing up, um, you know, I heard through my, uh, my grandmother that uh, men are not to be trusted because her and her husband didn't mm-hmm. get along, and, you know, anyway. So, um, so I heard this, and then I kind of kept hearing it over and over again. So I didn't realize it, but, be, but it became a belief. So in my first marriage, I had this underlying belief that I didn't know I had it, that men are not to be trusted. And so I ended up manifesting, you know, situations in which I could prove my belief was true. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Yeah. So is that what you mean by bl- that blind spot? Because I, I didn't know I had it. Absolutely. That is the blind spot that we didn't realize that we we had it. And this blind spot is dictate the way you think, how you do things, the way you perceive the world. Like I have my recent customer who stuck in the unhappy marriage for about 15 years. There's no emotional, psychological, and physical connection for years. Yeah. But she's stuck in there, and she yeah. don't know why. And after a few sessions of coaching, I have guided her to find her statement that kept her in that stagnation in life. And that statement was, she's supposed to be a Mother Teresa. She's oh. supposed to be that woman, that woman who worships God, who doesn't do anything that perceived to be wrong and sinful. Mm-hmm. So leaving a husband seemed to go against her core belief, yes. which is her blood spot, which yep. is, if I step outside of this marriage, then I'm a sinful person. Therefore, I'm not like a Mother Teresa. And that mm-hmm. was kept her stuck forever. Yep. I and that was the pretty much resonate with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was in a second marriage for about the same amount of time, and I pretty much had the same blind spot. Yep. If I, you know, I was a recovering Catholic, so I was like, if I divorce, then all hell's gonna break loose. Excuse the language, you know. Uh, my family, the Christian, you know, Catholic faith. I mean, it was just I didn't want to be evil. I didn't want to be a bad person. So I just stayed in this marriage and tried to work it out. And it was the uh, yeah, I got to get sick before it. I had to go into survival mode <laughs> before I would mm-hmm, change my mm-hmm. mind and look at that blind spot. So, yeah, I hear you. Wow. Absolutely. And in, in my life coaching business, I do have this called um, um, mapping process to find out where does this blind spot form. 
and mm. what that statement is. And it's from one person to the next is not always going to be the same. It's not going to take the right. same timeline. So, but it, it's a process. Right. So how long does it take for somebody to figure out their blind spot with your help? I think it's also a combination of how willingly they are going to look inward. Mm-hmm. Some people are avoidant. Some people are not ready. Mm-hmm. They may or may not ready, but if they come to my coaching session and they're ready to look inward, usually take about few sessions. We should discover that. Mm, okay. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I'm, I can imagine that some of these subconscious, you know, beliefs and patterns and things like that can be really uh, triggering and challenging, yeah. you know, to, to look at. So I think sometimes even if somebody did, you know, discover it with you very early on that client may not be able to accept it I'm guessing they could right. fight against it right. resist against it and then the the work isn't done because it's just too stressful to even think about it right right and it's yeah it is a challenging work it's not always like a picnic right <laughs> when we go when we do reflection work it's also hard and not everybody is ready and sometimes when we discover it, it could trigger our fear and our trauma again. It could push the client backward. But I, I don't want to cross the line between coaching versus therapy, you know. So if right. the person not ready, and then I'm not pushing it. Right. Because this is not therapy. Right, right. Yeah, there's a, there's a huge difference, and that's really, really important. Um, right. And, uh, uh, you know, I found that um, – you know, I've done a lot of counseling, coaching, therapy, sorry, counseling, therapy type of things in the past, um, and I really enjoyed it. But it's actually more challenging to do coaching because one has to get one's ego really out of it <laughs> and step out of the way and meet the client where he, she is um, and have them make their own discoveries. You know, yes. uh, sometimes I'd be like, mm-hmm. well, I've seen this pattern a thousand times, I'll just tell you what it is, you know. <laughs> But that may not right. I may not always be for the highest and greatest good of the client. So I'm you know, I'm I'm learning, I'm doing some training with a mentor of mine, you know, to be a better coach. So yeah, it's it's very valuable uh work to do that to help people get into that, you know, encourage people to get into that space so they can discover for themselves and therefore feel empowered, not that they need to be, you know, feel like they're be fixed. Because <laughs> we're not right. Uh, right. yeah, that the whole yeah. job of being fixed is not good. Uh, it's not good, right. It is a different process and different perspective and mindset to go into. You know, doing a therapy work is to go in to, go in, um, to the client path to help them unlock or unresolve or to resolve anything that was left unresolved so that they can free themselves in this current moment. Whereas coaching, you have nothing to do with the past. You are focusing on the future, who they want to become, and you guide them and, you know, coach them through uh, the process so that they can become who they want to become or who they can become. So it's two different directions in which we mm. go into therapy versus coaching. I see, I see. Okay. Well, you you know, you are also a believer in finding purpose. You feel that's really important. You're encouraging your clients and audience to find their true purpose. So can you explain what you mean by purpose, uh, why that's important, do you think, in your personal opinion, and, and how people can find their purpose? Absolutely. Um, for me, in one sentence, purpose is 
a reason for life or a reason for being. Why mm-hmm. are you wake up every morning? Why you do what you do? That is your purpose. Why you get up and do what you do? Why you come to do the podcast show? Why do you do the mm-hmm. YouTube video to help people? That is your purpose, a reason for being, a reason for life. Mm-hmm. And purpose gives us motivation, gives us joy, and moves us forward. That is the reason for purpose. And purpose is very important. Even if I can be so successful, but if I am not living life according to my purpose, I will laugh, feeling disempowered and dissatisfaction in my life. And mm-hmm. I will have this ease feeling. You probably know this very well. Because this is the experience when uh, mentally, psychologically, emotionally, or physically experience this ease because we are not living life according to our purpose, why we are here, what we are here to do. Well, a lot of people are just going to work. They're they're making their whatever, you know, wage, uh, whether they like their work or not, coming home, feeding the kids, um, feeling exhausted, uh, you know, overwhelmed with everything they have to do on their to-do list, and they feel that's just life. That's just the way it right. is. Right. And that's that is our role. Yeah, that is our role. I'm not saying that that is not your role or your responsibility, but purpose is bigger than that. Mm-hmm. It's like a, a foundation of your your reason for being, the reason for your existence, if that makes sense. Of course, I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm a, a mental health counselor. I still have to go to work. I still have to pay the bill. I still have to, you know, be a mom, do all mom things. But I do those things because it fulfills some aspect of my purpose, mm-hmm. which leaves me fulfilling and joy. Right. So when people do, yeah, it's just uh, very different when you are doing things just to pay the bill and nothing wrong with that. You know, sometimes I have to do a job to pay the bill. Job may or may not fit within my purpose then I will not last long. When I find something else is more in an alignment with my purpose, then I feel joyful and fulfilled when I go to work. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, on the outside, it can look very similar between the two types of people, one that, you know, one person that may really feel their purpose and get up in the morning and do what they do. It looks exactly the same as the person that right. doesn't have a purpose, but their energy and their joy um, is very, very different. Um, and, you know, I, I've met some people who are like, I guess they, they don't call them janitors anymore. They call them uh, industrial engineers. Anyway, so, uh, but I've met, you know, janitors that they have a smile on their face. They're whistling while they work. They're, they're you know, they're pleasant, uh, you know, and they just, you know, they're just lovely people. And, and then there's somebody who might be making 10 times the salary of that, and they hate their jobs, and they're just miserable to be around because they're miserable. And so one could be a janitor and serve their purpose. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, yes, you nailed it because one can just fulfilling their their role as a mom or as an employee, whereas the other one does 
seemingly the same thing, but they have this sense of ease and joy within themselves. It's not always observable for the outsider people, but that person, the individual, will know when they live life according to their purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, things tend to flow. Um, I know for me personally is like, you know, there may be some certain, you know, technical tasks that I, it may not be my favorite thing to do, but if I'm in that flow and, I, and I'm feeling that bigger purpose and seeing it and experiencing it, then these things just tend to f- figure themselves out, you know, or just it just seems yeah. to be easier. It doesn't take as much time. It doesn't take as much energy. I have energy left over, you know, whereas other people might, you know, sometimes they look at me and they go, oh, my God, how are you not exhausted? And I'm like, why would I be exhausted? This is fun. Right. <laughs> I really <laughs> like doing this. This is super exactly. fun, you know. So yeah, it's it's a completely different experience of life. Um, so tell us about your website, how people can uh, work with you, where to find the book, etc. Absolutely, my website called Above and Beyond Coaching LLC. Make sure you add LLC in there because there's so many other business might pop up without it. Mm-hmm. And you can just email me directly. Um, you know, just book your appointment with me. I will provide 30 minute free consultation to see wow. whether or not we are the right place um, to see if you are ready. You know, to be coach. And because I believe in partnering with my client, you know, I don't want people to go through the entire process and discover, um, it's not for me, and then they fall off. You know, it's just really doing it purposefully. It's going to be meaningful for my client and for myself as well. So, yeah, absolutely. Send me an email directly or go to my website, and you can just, um, yeah, send me an email. I think the easiest way to get, uh, get in touch with me. Okay, yeah, that's great. Okay. And uh, I see you're on Instagram as well, so Above and Beyond uh, Cooking yeah. LLC. So, yep. Absolutely. And my book, you can be, you can buy my book on Amazon.com called I Hate Potatoes, They Make Me Cry. <laughs> so in the Kindle version and paperback version as well. Okay, fantastic. Oh, that's great. Um, before we say goodbye today, Bumi, can you, you know, is there anything else you want to share with our audience, um, words of wisdom, inspiration, anything at all that we've missed? Yes, absolutely. I want to encourage audience to not give up hope and always mm-hmm. have faith. Have faith that you are sent to this earth for a reason, and it's your job to find that. And when you find that, you are the one who will feel joyful and your life will become much more purposeful and meaningful. That's mm-hmm. what I want to leave my audience with. You know, it's not about outside of ourselves. It's not about circumstances. It's about within. When you know your purpose, your life will be so much more joy and happiness. Mm. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Mimi. It's been such a pleasure to interview you, and congratulations on the number one bestseller, uh, making that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> That's so awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah, congrats on the book. Um, and uh, just for everyone listening in, you can go to AboveAndBeyondCoachingLLC.com and you also find her on uh, Facebook and Instagram, and, of course, the book is on Amazon. Um Yeah, and uh, we want to thank everyone for listening in. Until next time, thank you so much. All right, thank you, Balmy. Thank you so much. Thanks. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.
With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.